Many modern readers find this passage that we just read quite embarrassing. Come on, Paul's handkerchiefs. You remember Paul was a tent maker by trade. Uh, in those days, rabbis were expected to have a trade, a craft. And Paul was a tent maker, and it's a manual labor. And so uh, what's called handkerchiefs here, it's really a sweat rag that he would wrap around his forehead to keep the sweat from dripping into his eye. And the apron is what he wore in the course of his leather work. And we read here that Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Oh, come on. And then there's this whole demon possession and exorcism. And so to many modern people, these things sound like superstitious mumbo-jumbo. And often you read this both in professional scholars and in the general uh, attitude towards this uh, passage. Shouldn't we just pretend that, that this passage doesn't exist and move on to something more, quote-unquote, inspirational. But I have to say that if, if we are ever embarrassed about the Bible, you know, usually the problem is not with God, and usually the problem is not with the Bible. Usually the problem is with us. Um, This is a strange passage, but actually if you heard verse 20, Luke actually tells us what this passage is about. So in verse 20, Luke makes a concluding statement. So as a result of all the things that have happened, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That is the point, that the word of God continued to increase and prevail Mightily, And if that's the point, the follow-up question that we ask is, but why should we care? Why should we care? Well, that's what I'd like to examine with you this morning, and we are going to start by realizing the first reason why we care and why we should care, and that is the Word brings kingdom. The world brings the kingdom of God. Now, as you can see plainly, uh, Paul is continuing his ministry in Ephesus. And last week in verses 1 through 7, we saw how Paul's ministry uh, was focused on uh, certain disciples, 12 disciples, who were very confused about God's uh, work. And after that, we read here that he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, that phrase, the kingdom of God, it's one of the key phrases. It's one of the key ideas and concepts in the Bible. And one way that we can understand the importance and the significance of that Idea or the phrase the kingdom of God is to see it as a kind of a shorthand reference to God's promise of a restoration. Now, the kingdom of God is of because it's a key concept in the Bible, it's a very broad and rich concept. But 
uh, for now, it's helpful to remember that one of the key things uh, contained in that is God's promise to restore. And what's interesting is that if you ask people today, most people will agree that uh, humanity is on the wrong path and that we are on the brink of a disaster. Now, people will give you different reasons. Uh, Some people will say that the world is on the wrong path because the government has too much power. Uh, Some people will say that the world is on the wrong path because the government has too little power. Others will say that we are on the brink of a disaster because of too much pollution and climate change. Others will say we are on the brink of a disaster because of too much regulation. You know, people have different reasons and different answers why they think the world is on the wrong path. But it appears to me, and it seems to me, even when they are right about some of these things, when they give these things as an answer, you know, it's a little bit like telling someone who has stage four cancer that their real problem is spending too much time in bed. And if you can just get up out of your bed and get some exercise, you will feel better. And that is to say, you know, they've confused the symptom with the cause, isn't it? And I think that's how we often look at the world and the sense that there is something profoundly wrong with the world. We look at the symptoms and we think we confuse the symptoms with the cause. But the truth is that our problem is far more deeply rooted and it is far more serious because it is of a far more fundamental nature and our problem is really about our standing with God. So let me put it this way. God created mankind to be his covenant people. And we were created to honor God with love. Not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, but to honor him with the sincere love in our heart. And we were created to serve him with gladness. And we were created to be the cup, to be the vessel into which God pours his love and glory until the cup runneth over. That's why we were created. But sin came into the world. Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord, and sin has come, bringing ruin and destruction, curse and misery. So that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul tells us that sin has turned us all into no longer the cup into which God pours his glory and love and favor, but sin has turned us into children of wrath. We are reserved and preserved as the people that we are by nature. We are preserved and reserved for God's wrath and judgment. And sin is both destructive and is debasing. Because when sin comes and ruins us, what happens is that we end up serving the things that are not God. Instead of serving the living God who blesses us, we are debased to serve the things that are not God. 
And we spend our lives loving the things that do not love us back. We are out of step with our Creator. And because we are out of step with our God and our Maker, we have filled the world with countless evil. But God, He is the God of grace and He is the God of mercy. God graciously promised restoration. And He promised to bring His kingdom not to deal with symptoms, but to deal with the root cause of our broken relationship with God. And God's kingdom arrived with his king, Jesus Christ. And his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom was inaugurated. It began with his death, with his resurrection, and with his ascension into heaven. Because through Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, sin, sin that caused the rupture in our relationship with God, sin that has brought upon us ruin and misery, guilt and shame, that sin was dealt with and sinners were reconciled to God. And because of that, we as Christians, we have this certain assurance. Now that God, the kingdom of God has come upon us, And one day, that kingdom of Christ will come upon us with its full power and glory. And on that day, God will restore every broken thing. On that day, when Christ's kingdom comes upon us with the fullness of power and glory, on that day, all evil will be gone. And on that day, the things that we hold dear and precious by faith will become sight. And on that day, hope will be rewarded. This is the message of God's kingdom. And this, and certainly Paul probably used different words and different way of explaining, but that in essence is the message of God's kingdom. And Paul spoke this Message for three months in the synagogue, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And for those who heard the message, those who heard the word, those who considered it, and those who believed the message, the word brought God's kingdom to them, and the word brought them into God's kingdom. But we also read here that when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. The word is taken away from those who harden their heart. And because the word, the word that brings God's kingdom, the word that brings sinners as justified saints into God's kingdom, because the word is withdrawn and taken from those who harden their hearts, the effect is that they are excluded from God's kingdom. That's why we care. Luke tells us that This passage is about the word of God increasing and prevailing. Why should we care? 
Because the word of God brings God's kingdom to us and brings us into God's kingdom. And secondly, Luke shows us how the word is vindicated by God's power. The word is vindicated by God's power. Once again, the word is the point. And verses 9 and 10, we read that Paul reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, for first century Greco-Roman people, Asia meant the part of the world uh, that we call Turkey today, where Ephesus is located. And so Paul labored there for more than two years so so that uh, everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The word is increasing. And then in verse 11, in that context of the increase and the prevailing of God's word, in verse 11, we read, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now notice how Luke calls them extraordinary miracles. And the meaning of the Greek word is rather simple. It means not normal, not usual. And so when Luke calls them extraordinary, Luke is telling us that these things didn't happen always. And when he calls them not normal, Luke is also telling us that we shouldn't look at these things as as normative to be the perpetual pattern of how Christians deal with those that are ill or those who are afflicted by the evil spirits. But rather, because this was an extraordinary miracles, you remember the, some of the times that we see these things in the New Testament. You remember Mark chapter 5 and verse 21 and following how there was a woman, a poor woman, who for 12 years has suffered without finding any relief or healing. And then she heard about Jesus. And I think what's happening there is that she feels herself so unworthy and she can't entertain the possibility that Jesus would receive her. And so she tries to sneak up behind him, thinking in her heart, I know he can help me, but I'm also sure he will never receive me. I know that he's my hope, but how can I come to him? So she sneaks up behind them, thinking that if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And that's what she did. And Jesus knew, didn't he? You know, she was right that Jesus was her only hope. She was wrong that Jesus would not receive her. But with what little faith she has, she came to Jesus, and that that little sliver of faith received for her the complete Christ. You know, it's not the size of faith that that we possess that matters. It's what that faith brings us. She came to Jesus with just tiny little sliver of faith, and she received Jesus. And then remember also in Luke chapter, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 53, 
how the sick people, they were touching the fringe of Jesus' garment. And this is a case where the, the, the crowds were just surrounding Jesus so that the sick people, and if you're sick, you're also weak. They can't make their way through the crowd to, to come to Jesus. And so they're reaching out to touch the fringe of his robe, his garment. And when they did, they were also healed. And do you remember how in Acts chapter 5, the sick people were placed so that Peter's shadow might fall upon them. Once again, these people were by circumstance, by lack of ability. They can't come. They can't ask. But they have just a tiny little bit of faith. If, if only Peter's shadow could fall on me. And when his shadow fell upon them, they were healed. You see, what happened in these situations, that this was an unusual show of God's power, but in every case, the point was that God, through this unusual show of his power, was publicly vindicating their message. Just at the time, at the moment when people were doubting who Jesus is, were uh, confronting him with unbelief and hostility, it is then God showed his power in this unusual way. And same with Peter. And what that reminds us is that Bible miracles never happen for their own sake. But Bible miracles always happen to confirm God's word. These unusual, extraordinary miracles were showing people, listen to them. Pay attention to them. I am with them. I am speaking through them. Listen to them. And that's what happened with Jesus. That's what happened with Peter. And once again, that is what's happening with Paul. God is powerfully working and attesting Paul's ministry of the word, showing people, telling people, listen to him. Just as there were people who hardened their hearts and were publicly opposing the way, maligning the way, God showed himself with power, telling people, listen to Paul. And that became very clear, that became very clear in a, a failed exorcism. Now, once again, you remember from verses 1 through 7, and there were these disciples who had been baptized into John, but they, they did not know about Jesus. And when Paul met them, he explained to them Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they put their faith in Jesus. They trusted in Jesus, and when they did, the Spirit of Christ came upon the disciples. And so the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, came upon them and marked these disciples as redeemed people, destined for glory. And immediately following that passage, we see the very opposite. The evil spirits have taken this poor man hostage. He is oppressed. He is in bondage. And he is without hope. And then there were some of the itinerant 
Jewish exorcist. Apparently, the Jewish people had a reputation for being very spiritual. And some of the Jewish people went around offering their services for cases like this. And these itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. You know, they were using Jesus' name as a magical incantation. But you know, there is great power in the name of Jesus Christ, but the power is not in the sound of the syllables. God is the power. When God worked these miraculous things, extraordinary miracles, God was attesting to Paul's ministry of the word. And God restored the sick, and he restored the afflicted souls for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his word. And without the word, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, these seven sons of Sceva have no power. And so the evil spirits answer, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? It's rather comical, if not for the fact that this is such a sad and terrible situation. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, something that uh, you, um, I can only mention this in passing, and we will come to see this more in detail next week. Ephesus was a city that boasted a thriving industry uh, catering to the occult. Ephesus was the home of the great temple of Artemis, which was known as the biggest temple in the ancient world. And not only that, there were many people selling the wares, the instruments, the tools of the occult, each one promising control over the spiritual realm and their problems. But in the events that took place, how God worked powerfully through Paul, healing the sick and and freeing those who were afflicted by the evil spirits, but also seeing how these exorcists who did not know Jesus had no power. They came to see that salvation belongs to Jesus. And so fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now see what happened. When Jesus is lifted up, the idols are cast down. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In those days, one piece of silver was considered a one day's wage. So the things that they burned, 50,000 pieces of silver, that's 50,000 days worth of wage. 
And that also gives us an indication how much the Ephesians had invested into these useless, dumb idols, only so that they can find spiritual peace. But it was all in vain. Now, you think, ha-ha, these foolish ancient people. Thank God we're not like them. We're, we don't do such silly stuff. You know, what are idols? Idols are basically what gives us comfort, a sense of worth, what makes us feel life is worth living, what makes us feel that we have a, a, hand, a handle on situations of our lives. And it's that these things that we invest ourselves into, we spend our time, we spend our money. And just think about the many ways where you put in your time, your money, in order that you, you feel like you, you, you belong, you deserve respect, that you have some measure of control over life. These are our idols. And that's what the Ephesians had done. They had invested a great deal of money, time, and resources. But once they realized that it was all vain, the, all in vain, these Ephesians were set free from the idols. And the key thing we need to know about the idols is that they only ever demand and they never give what they promise. They say, give, 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 but they never, ever fulfill the bargain. And so they, they burned all the wares, the occult, the tools, the instruments, the books, because what they came to realize is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him, through Jesus, that we offer, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So the word brings kingdom and the word is vindicated by God's power. And thirdly and finally, the word is to be received. The word is to be received. Now notice in verse 17, Luke writes, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And then in verse 20, Luke writes, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You know, for Luke, these two things mean the same thing. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's one and the same thing. And that actually defines for us both the calling and the parameters of the ministry of the word. Time to time, I find myself in a position to give counsel and advice to former members of our church who move away, and they ask me, Pastor Ken, and can you help me to find a good church, which I'm more than happy to do. And what I tell them is, you know, it's really hard to get a feel of a church just by attending one or two services. And it's really not helpful or even fair to judge the, the ministry of the word in totality 
by listening to just one or two sermons. You know, give yourself some time. Attend the church for a few weeks, for a few months, and see. Because, you know, when you spend a lot of time with people, inevitably, you hear about what they love, don't you? You know, if you spend any time with me outside the church, sooner or later, you're going to hear about jazz. (laughs) That's what I love. It'll come out. Uh, That's natural. But it is also the same. It is also true of ministers of God's word. Now, one or two sermons might not give you a good indication, but you listen to a a preacher or or, uh, his ministry over a period of time, you get to notice what he really loves in the things that he emphasizes. And then you need to ask, does this ministry extol Jesus? Is there emphasis, is there pattern and habit of exalting Jesus in the fullness of his glory, his sufficiency, his power, his beauty? Or does the preacher have a habit of emphasizing everything but Jesus? Because, you see, that tells you what the ministry of the word is trying to accomplish, and it tells you what the preacher loves in his heart. And when Luke tells us here that the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, that gives us, because they are the same thing, that gives us both a definition of the calling, the definition of the word ministry, and the parameters, what the word ministry should look like. If Jesus is not extolled, if Jesus is not honored, if Jesus is not lifted up, if Jesus is not portrayed as beautiful, sufficient, glorious, then it is not a ministry of the Word of God, no matter how loudly they insist that it is. And so that's something that we need to understand and and remember. And also, and lastly, Remember once again that the word is the point. The word is the point. And God testified to his word by raising Jesus. He powerfully worked through the apostles. And because he gave public attestation of his word in the resurrection of Jesus and through the apostles, we must not now harden our hearts because God already gave his attestation to hear of the resurrection of Jesus and what the apostles did and taught and then refused to believe that is challenging God's testimony that is hardening our hearts and we must not now harden our hearts and so I urge you and I plead with you May the word of Christ increase in your heart so that Jesus is extolled. I regret that I don't have the time to develop this, but idolatry is really an an issue and a problem of worship. If you find yourself in the grip of idols, and often that idolatry expresses itself in various addictions, The key through it, the key to overcoming idolatry 
is the worship of Jesus. It is when Jesus is extolled and lifted up that the idols are cast down. It is when Jesus is honored in your heart that the idols begin to lose their hold and grip over your heart. And remember this, that God's kingdom will come upon you with glory and blessing. And on that day, he will restore all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we may take to heart the things that you have instructed us this morning. Help us to see the beauty, the glory, and the sufficiency of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May our hearts love him, honor him, and exalt him, and so that we may be the men and women of your kingdom in in joy and in sincerity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.